have you heard this phrase? And they lived happily ever after. Um, when you hear that phrase, what, the, what does that tell you? Uh, at least two things, perhaps more. Uh, one, that you are reading a fairy tale, right? Only in fairy tales, uh, people live happily thereafter. Second, the second thing that it tells you is that the book is over. There's nothing more to say. The fairy tale has come to an end. In the book of Revelation, there is a phrase that has some resemblances to what we're commonly expected to read at the end of fairy tales. Uh, the phrase in Revelation that I'm talking about that has some resemblances is the phrase, and they will reign forever and ever. That's Revelation 22.5. That's how the, the closing of Revelation is, is coming slowly to an end. Actually, let me read that entire verse or that phrase. They will see his face. Talking about God's people. They will see his face. And his name, God's name, will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Sounds like a fairy tale, too good to be true. And yet the book of Revelation is nothing close to a fairy tale. At least in two ways. For one, what it says and what it reveals is true. It is real. It's not just a made-up story. Second of all, the book of Revelation is unlike fairy tales in that this is not the last thing the book of Revelation closes with. If fairy tales end with the words, and they shall live happily thereafter, um, Revelation does not close with the sentence, and they will reign forever and ever. Revelation is not interested only to tell us about the climax of God's people, that they will finally make it into that eternal, heavenly city that will be in the new creation, the new heaven, and the new earth. Instead, Revelation has a greater purpose, not only to tell us about the future, but actually to bring us back to the here and now and tell us how to prepare for that future. And in that sense, Revelation is so different than any fairy tale. It's not just about ending on the high note, on the climax, on when you realize we've gotten to the end. What else is there to say? And Revelation says, oh, I got a lot more to say. And that's what gonna, we're going to read this morning as we are looking at the conclusion of the book of Revelation. And the conclusion of the book of Revelation is so heavy and so important that it will take us two sermons to work through the conclusion of this book. So, if we've read last week the words, and they will reign forever and ever, and we might say, all right, let's close the book. We know how it ends. Let's just uh, rejoice in that. Revelation says, oh, no, no, no. We're not going to just close 
with a message, and they will reign forever and ever. So what else is there to say? Today and next week, we're looking at this conclusion. And the conclusion is landing not on the picture of the future, of the future glorious state of the believer. It is rather ending on how to respond and how to prepare now for that future. Because if we miss knowing how to respond and how to prepare for what is coming, all that glorious future, all those glorious promises will be, will be inefficient and ineffective for us. It is only those who prepare for that coming that will be able to benefit from all those promises. Now, before we look at the conclusion of this book, it may be helpful for us to remind ourselves um, how and what John has been telling us throughout the book of Revelation. Um, especially, I realize we have started working through this book about 28 sermons ago. And I don't want to rely on all your exceptional memory to recollect all that information, uh, even if you were with us every one of those sermons. But then I realize there's also those who have come to our congregation just, just the last few weeks and have no idea um, what this book has been covering. So let me give you a very long introduction to what will be a long conclusion, um, sort of two messages. But it's divided in two, so be at peace. We will get out well today, Lord willing. What is the book of Revelation about? What have we covered so far? Well, in chapters 1 through 3, John told us where he was when he received the vision of the book of Revelation. He told us also that he had a vision of the exalted Christ walking among the seven churches and how Jesus commanded John to write this book, to write, this, to what, write what he sees. Then Jesus told John to write seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor. And those seven letters show us that Jesus cares deeply about the life of the local church. He cares so deeply that he knows their challenges. He knows their works. He knows their strengths. He knows their compromises. And Jesus called each and every one of them, especially those who have compromised, to repent of their compromises and to remain faithful to Jesus to the very end. Then in chapters 4 and 5, John was, was given a vision of the throne room of God. After describing for us the glory of God's throne, John saw in God's hand a scroll that was written inside and out and was sealed. And he realized and found out that no one was able to open the seals of the scroll. No one except Jesus. Because he had been slain, and with his blood he purchased people for God, cleansing them from their sin and making them to be a kingdom for God. In other words, God's end-time judgments, which were likely the ones revealed in that scroll, God's end-time judgments would not begin until Jesus redeems people for God. And in chapters 6 through 16, Jesus 
begins opening the scrolls, uh, the, the seals of the scroll. And as he opens the seven seals, God's judgments begin to unfold against the earth, affecting at first only a fraction of the earth. When the seventh seal was opened, John saw seven angels with seven trumpets. And the blowing of these seven trumpets um, triggers another set of seven judgments. But this time, the fraction of, of the impact on the earth increased. And when the seventh trumpet was finished blowing, John saw seven more angels with seven bowls filled with the wrath of God. And these bowls of the wrath of God speak up and refer and, and, and describe for us the, the judgments that God will bring at the second coming of Christ. But actually, if we put all these three sets of seven judgments together, we have 21 judgments that God promised to unfold upon the earth. And they are described from chapter 6 to 16. And between the presentation of these 21 judgments, we have seen three interludes in which God it reveals to us more about why He's acting the way He is. He's revealing to us about His people. He's revealing to us about the dragon and the beast and the false prophet and the deception that they bring upon the earth. Why is God bringing these judgments, these 21 judgments against the earth? It is because humanity has chosen to follow the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And even though this unholy trinity is offering safety, it's offering material benefits, material prosperity to the people of the earth, these judgments of God show that humanity cannot ignore God forever, that humanity cannot find true and lasting safety by following the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, God is bringing these judgments and plagues against the earth. And the coming of these judgments has already started with the first coming of Christ. In Revelation, we see the conflict between two kingdoms and two thrones. On one side, the kingdom of the one true God, as John saw the, the throne of God in, in Revelation 4. But also, the reign of the dragon. And his corruption of humanity with his deceptions. Uh, through these judgments against the earth, God is showing us that his kingdom is coming upon the earth. Despite all the opposition that the dragon uh, is bringing. And uh, despite all the lure that the dragon is able to have upon humanity. And the people of the earth that keep resisting God's will. The people of the earth that feel secure and confident in following the lure of the dragon and the beast and the false prophet, well, the book of Revelation tells us such people will have no chance of survival when God brings His judgments against the earth, just as Egypt had no chance of resisting God's plagues. No wonder that so many of the 21 judgments are echoing the plagues that God brought against Egypt. Well, after describing these 21 judgments in chapters 6 through 16, we would expect that the next thing we would see is the second coming of Christ. But before describing the second coming of Christ, which takes place in chapter 19, 
John sees a contrast. And the contrast is between two women, which represent two cities, a prostitute and a bride. We see this contrast played out for us between chapters 17 and 22. Both women represent two opposite cities. The great prostitute is the great city of the kingdoms of the earth. The bride is a city of God, which God prepares to bring down from above into a new heaven and a new earth. The great city of Babylon is the center of all human trade and flourishing. But we saw in chapter 18 that this city will be destroyed. It's a city that will let humanity down sooner or later. In contrast to the city of the great Babylon, John sees the glory of another, another city, the, the holy city of God, presented as a bride adorned for her husband. And this city is unlike any other city on this earth. Chapter 21 and 22 showed us that in this city, death will be no more. No pain or suffering or mourning. It will be a city with no need for the sun or the moon because God himself will be the light of that city. It will be a city like the Holy of Holies because the presence of God will be fully manifested in it and the glory of God will be so radiant that the city is described in the, as the most radiant of cities. This is the city that God is preparing for his people, for those who repent and trust in Christ for salvation. So if chapters 6 through 16 showed us the 21 judgments that God brings against the earth, the last six chapters present us a contrast between these two cities, the city of a rebellious world and those who want to keep distance from God and the city that God is building which will last forever. And in between the contrast of these two cities, John saw a great white throne before which heaven and earth will flee away and all humanity will be judged before God and will be sent either into the eternal torment of the lake of fire, into hell, or into the eternal radiant city that God is building for His people. How are we to respond to, to this news? This is the overview of, of Revelation. How are we to respond after hearing all that God is planning to do? Revelation does not close with a picture of the radiance of the eternal city, even though that's a climax of the book. Revelation closes with telling us how to respond today so that we will be ready to enter that city. Well, that's a long introduction to what we will now do, and that is to open our Bibles to Revelation 22. We'll be reading from verse 6 to 21. Revelation 22, 6 through 21. And here is God's word. After hearing the phrase, and they will reign forever and ever, here's how the book of Revelation closes. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. 
And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the morning, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. These are the closing books, closing words of the book of Revelation. Would you pray with me, asking God to bless the preaching of his word for our hearts. Father, as we are approaching the conclusion of what you have revealed to us in this last book of Scripture, would you help us take to heart? Would you help us respond to what we have heard throughout this book? Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. Make us willing to respond to you, we pray. In the name of Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Prepare for the coming of Christ. Hearing the glorious news, hearing the glorious truths about what God will do to humanity, to this earth, to create a new heavens and a new earth, a radiant city for the people of God, how should we respond? And the answer is prepare for the coming of Christ. Uh, this conclusion that we have just read has three major points. And the third point has five subpoints. We will only cover the first subpoint, um, and the last four subpoints of the third point will be uh, covered next week, Lord willing, unless the Lord returns, or unless the Lord may call some of us home. So this morning, let's look at the three truths, and then the first subpoint of the third point. 
the conclusion of the section of Revelation can be summarized in these three points. Trust this revelation. Trust this revelation. Second, the second major theme or second major point of this conclusion is Jesus is surely coming again. Jesus is surely coming again. Third, prepare for his coming. Prepare for his coming. Let's look at these three points and see how the Lord wants us to respond. The first one is trust this revelation. <coughs> Throughout this closing section, we see several verses that show that the words of this book are not mere human words and that the, the words of this book are true and trustworthy. They must be trusted. The most explicit verse that speaks about this is verse 6. Look at what the angel says to, says to John. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The trustworthiness and the truthfulness of these words is shown uh, through a few other verses in this closing section. Verse 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. Now, when you hear the words called to testify or sent to testify, uh, that immediately brings up the notion of a witness who is brought, perhaps into a court setting, perhaps, uh, but or, or, or any other setting to announce, to testify something that is true, something that is real, something that has taken place. And Jesus tells us that when he's sending his angel to communicate these things to John for the churches, he's telling the angel not just to communicate these things, but to testify. It's an important language. In other words, it's, He's communicating what is true and what is real. Uh, look at the language of testifying again in, verses eight, in verse 18 and 20. Actually, in the ESV, the language is a little different. In the, in the ESV, verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Uh, the ESV chooses to translate the word I warn as I warn. But the, the, the Greek word is really I testify. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. And then verse 20, Jesus is described as he who testifies to these things. Why is there such an emphasis in this conclusion at the end of this book on testifying and on the truthfulness of these words? Because throughout the book of Revelation, the primary strategy of the devil that he is using against the earth is deception. Deception, corrupting God's word or, or twisting the truth of God or, or just flat out communicating lies and presenting them as the truth. So much so that the book of Revelation presents the world as a place of deception, as one Bible commentator said. The book of Revelation presents the world as a, as a place of deception. And in order to expose the deception which the world is trapped into, we need God's revelation of what is true, of what is real. And here at the end of the book, God affirms that the words of this revelation are true and are trustworthy. 
Friends, let me ask you, do you trust that what has been revealed in the book of Revelation is true and trustworthy? Are you open to consider and take what we have been reading and studying for the last few months, uh, that whatever it is revealing in this book is, is worth building your life on it? Yes, there are parts of this book that are difficult to understand. But the overall message of the book of Revelation is simple. God will bring this world to an end. And those who continue to ignore God or to compromise in their faith will join the devil and his angels into the lake of fire, which will burn forever and ever. But those who trust in God's provision of his son as a sacrifice for our sins, as a substitute, for our rebellion, they are going to be made the kingdom of God and they will dwell forever and ever into the eternal, radiant city that God is preparing. In other words, despite the strong message of judgment against a rebellious earth, God has provided a way of escape through Jesus Christ and He prepares a glorious future that will have no end. Are you, be- are you willing to believe this news? Are you willing to trust in this message? Friends, there are many sources in our world that can feed for our attention to tell us what is true and what is trustworthy to follow. Ask yourself, what are the kind of things, what are the kind of sources that you go to for convincing you of what is true, of what is worthy of your attention, of what is worthy for you to build your life upon? If you are in the, in, 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 in the academy, perhaps it's academic studies or centers of research. Perhaps it's professors at school or books or articles that you read. Or perhaps it's blogs, the bloggers you follow. Perhaps it's human reason. What, just, what truly makes sense to my human reason. Perhaps it's simply yourself as a source of what is true and what is trustworthy to build your life upon. The book of Revelation closes by reminding us that what God revealed in this book is true and trustworthy. This divine revelation from God is so true and so trustworthy that to tamper with it, to tamper with the words written in it, receives God's harshest punishment. That's the point of verses 18 and 19. Look again at these verses. I testify, or I warn, everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Friends, of no human words, of no mere human words, is such a warning ever given. Of no mere human words is such consequence attached to if we tamper with him. Similar instructions, by the way, similar instructions uh, to these were given by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. Several times we see it, but let me just read to you one of those references. Deuteronomy 12, 32. Moses said to to the people, Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. 
Just as Moses assumed that the commands he gives the people of Israel were God's commands, no mere human commands, and therefore should not be ignored or tampered with, so also the book of Revelation gives us this picture, it gives us this warning that we should not tamper with the words of this prophecy. We dare not take stuff out of it, nor add to it. Instead, we are called to receive these words and to obey them, to trust them as God's revelation for us, to help us in our journey of following Jesus and preparing for that eternal city. Believe that Jesus died and rose again, and that with his blood he purchased people for God, so that all who repent and trust in Christ become part of God's eternal kingdom. Believe that there are two eternal destinies, an eternal new creation, where God will dwell with his people forever and ever, and an eternal place of torment, where the torment goes on forever and ever. Friends, these truths alone are increasingly rejected today, even by some who call themselves Christians. We live in a time when fundamental truths of the Bible are being dismissed as hard to believe, or just ideas that people used to believe in the ancient times, but we are better today. We know better than that. This makes no sense to our human reason. And therefore, we take stuff that we no longer find acceptable to our human reason. We take it out. We may not rip it out of the Bible. We may not cut and paste it physically, but we just mentally dismiss it. Uh, Some people may not have a hard time believing that these words are true, but they may have a hard time putting their trust in what is revealed in them. Their belief is more like a mere acknowledgement, but does not elicit their trust. Friends, there's a difference between believing that something is true and then actually making it trustworthy in the sense of trusting your life upon it, relying, building your life around what is revealed in it. Mere acknowledgement that something is true Such belief without the trusting is pointless. If you feel secure because you believe that these words are true, ask yourself, do you also place your trust in what they reveal? Do the words of this book inspire you to depend on and to build your life on something different than yourself? On something different than your views? On something different than your impressions? Do these words cause you to trust or to rely on or to build your life on the truths revealed in them. One of the key truths that this book calls us to believe and trust in is that Jesus is coming again. So the second point we are looking at is that Jesus is coming again. This is one of the repeated phrases in the conclusion. I am coming soon, Jesus says. Look at verse 7. Behold, I'm coming soon. Look at verse 12. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Finally, look at verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. Three times in this text, we see these direct words from Jesus. I'm coming soon. And the third time he says it, he adds this this adverb or this, this word, surely. Oh, friends, for this phrase to be repeated three times in such a short passage is significant. Christ wants his people to know that 
He is coming to the earth and His people should live ready for His coming. The phrase, I'm coming soon, should not be taken so much as a time reference as much as a readiness reference. It's not so much of, Jesus, are you coming back in an hour or in a week or in a month or in a year or in a decade or in a century? It's a means of telling his people to live prepared for his coming. He's coming like a thief in, a night, in the night. And he doesn't want his people to be unprepared for his coming. They should not delay in getting ready for the coming of Christ. We should not put off getting ready. How do people today put off or delay getting ready for the coming of Christ? Well, they might say something like, when I have more time on my hands, I'll give more attention to my spiritual life. Or they think, I think I want to enjoy this world first. And then later, when I get older, I'll get more serious about God. Well, think of other ways that you neglect focusing on the Lord as a priority for your life, thinking, you know, you've, you've got later. When, when, when the season of busyness, when the season of craziness um, is, is done, then perhaps you'll give more attention to the things of God and in, in, to the things in, that are spiritual in your life. Friends, the message that Jesus is coming soon should create in every generation, in every believer, the expectancy and the readiness to meet the Lord. We don't know what tomorrow brings. Don't delay getting ready to meet Christ. Consider just the, the tragic events that has happened in the Jones family this week. When Diane's parents got in a car accident and both of their lives uh, have been tragically well, one of us has been tragically ended, and the other one is close to being gone. We don't know. We don't know how much time we have left. Consider, be ready to meet the Lord. Don't put other priorities in your life as more urgent and more important than living with an attitude of readiness to meet Christ. Jesus is surely coming again. You will meet Him, either as your judge or as your Savior. Prepare, therefore, for His coming. Number three, prepare, therefore, for His coming. In light of the truthfulness and the trustworthiness of the words of this book, in light of the repeated announcements that Jesus is coming back and that His coming is soon, this ending section closes with several pointers of how to prepare for His coming. Like I, men I mentioned earlier at the beginning, in this closing section, we will see five subpoints of how to prepare for his coming. And this morning, we will only cover the first subpoint. And that first subpoint of how to prepare for the coming of Christ is obey what is revealed in this book. Obey what is revealed in this book. Look at the blessing given in verse 7. And behold, I'm coming soon. So what? Look at the next verse, next word. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now let's look at this blessing. The blessing is not over those who merely know what is written in this book. 
the blessing is not given only to those who understand fully what is in this book. The blessing is given on those who keep what is written in this book. In other words, the book of Revelation is not merely for our information about the future or to satisfy our curiosity. The book of Revelation is given to the church in order to shape how the church lives in the interim in preparation for the coming of Christ. But what does it mean to keep the words of this book? What does it mean to keep the words of this book? Well, it involves, on one side, it involves obedience to the commandments included in this book. For example, in five of the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, Christ chides the churches and calls them to repent for various compromises that Christ identified in them. So that keeping the words of this book means heeding the commands to repent, to turn away from those compromises, to seek to live in a way that pleases Christ. Now, this is not a salvation by works. Our salvation is by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. We are not saved on the basis of what we do, nor on the basis of our obedience. We are saved through faith in Christ alone. And yet, the true saving faith, that faith which truly saves us, is a, is a faith that produces a new kind of obedience to God. An obedience that keeps God's Word. And if obedience does not follow from your faith, then you have a false faith. Jesus said in John 14, the passage that, that Tommy read earlier in our service to us, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. In other words, obedience to God's commands shows that we love God. So, we are saved through Christ alone, but true saving faith never comes alone. It produces a fruit of obedience in our lives. How we live proves what we truly believe. Or as James says, faith without works is dead. And dead faith will not save anybody. Obeying the words of this book means more than just obeying or keeping the commands of this book, because this book is more than just a list of commands. Keeping the words of this book means embracing the framework with which God wants us to view our world, that the beast is seeking to divert the people of the world away from the worship of the true God, and he does so through deceptive claims, through pressure to conform in order to receive the immediate benefits of this world. Friends, this world is not our eternal home. We're waiting and setting our hope on the new heaven, on a new earth that God will create, and on that new city that God is building and He will bring from above. So to keep the words of this book is more than just obeying the commands. It's also receiving and adopting the framework with which we actually view our world 
and our lives in it. As one Bible commentator said, keeping the words of this book involves receiving all the teaching of the book and allowing it to shape one's thinking and actions. So friends, consider in what ways our study through the book of Revelation has challenged you and I to see our world differently. Has it stirred you to remember that this world is not our ultimate home? Has it stirred you to be perhaps more interested about getting ready for eternity rather than getting ready for retirement? Saving more for what's eternal rather than saving for your 401k? Has it stirred you to be vigilant against the, the deceptive ways that Satan is using to, tra- to, to trap us into false worship? Has it stirred you to be cautious of not falling in the traps of materialism? Has it stirred you to consider how much Jesus fears about the local church and desires to see local churches pure, pursuing purity and faithfulness to Christ? Has it challenged you to see the horribleness of idolatry and the horrific destiny of those who continue to live in rebellion and ignorance towards God? As one Bible interpreter said, Revelation is designed to shape the commitments of those who hear it, and its conclusion has the features of persuasive speech. Has the book of Revelation challenged you to consider your commitments? Consider what commitments have been refined through the hearing of the message of this book. Are you yearning for the new creation which God will bring to dwell and to be with us? Friends, God declares that those who keep the words of this book are blessed. Don't pat yourself on the back for merely growing in understanding this book. Let it continue to affect you, how you live. The first way this conclusion challenges us to prepare for the coming of Christ is by encouraging us to, to obey the Word of God. Let me ask you, do you consider it a blessing to focus on obeying the Word of God and on keeping the Word of God? Or do you consider it a burden? Do you consider it legalism to keep focusing on keeping the words of this book? Revelation considers it a blessing to keep the words of this book. Don't assume that obedience to God's Word is legalism. God saves us and gives us a new nature by grace alone. So that with that new nature, new heart, we can begin obeying God willingly from our hearts so that it is a blessing to us. Our obedience to God's Word shows that we believe God's Word to be true and that we build our lives on what it says. That's what it means to believe that God's Word is true and trustworthy and that what one does in preparing for the meeting of Christ or for the coming of Christ is that we delight. We consider it a blessing to keep the words of this book. Friends, receive these, book, these words and let them affect your lives. The book of Revelation does not close with the phrase, and they shall reign with him forever and ever. As glorious as that phrase is, as true as that phrase is, Revelation closes 
with a conclusion of a different nature. And part of that conclusion is to land us, help us get real and practical for here and now. And part of that real and practical implication is trust the words of this book. Jesus is surely coming again. Prepare for his coming by obeying and keeping the words of this book. Let's pray and close.